Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Stu and Blake. Hello and welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. I am Blake Harrison and joining me, as always, Stu Whiffin. How are you doing, mate? I'm all right. I'm all right. How are you? I'm very good, mate. I'm very, very good. So uh, what's on the agenda today? We, uh, you pulled a really funny face when you said that. Lynn. I did, yeah. I went like full, like white man overbite agenda. You can't see it. It's a. This is an audio kind of like medium. We don't even include these bits on like the YouTube stuff. If you want to no. check this interview out on YouTube, you can. But you miss all the all of this gold at the beginning yeah. and the end of the episode. I'm sure everybody's thinking that exact thing. This is gold this, this is, is gold in our oh, ears right now solid gold you're gonna get some gold because um we've got a wonderful guest today we've got bradley walton uh and brad uh we, we met we talk we talk actually about um how we first met um but yeah he's he's the voice of cage warriors you know alongside former guest dan hardy um and, and not just cage warriors multiple regional shows and we go right into you know what he's done over his career and seeing so many of these 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 fighters in very formative years you know he talks about some hilarious stuff about a very young paddy uh, the paddy pimlet uh, and and right as we get to the end of the podcast as well we ask him about who he sees as uh, being a, a, a future uh, ufc champion um and obviously there's a lot of big names uh, in the UFC uh, from the UK at the moment. You might be surprised um, at, at the name he picks, and then he gives you some backstory on it as well. And, yeah, it's uh, it's a wonderful episode, isn't it? It's a wonderful episode. We also talk about Hamzat Shemaev as well, his thoughts on, on Hamzat. And uh, Stu loves when he talks about how good Gilbert Burns is. God, oh, this is becoming a theme. Personal highlight, that. <laughs> personal. When he just, and he kept going on about... <laughs> how good Gilbert Burns was and I could not stop smiling and I thought and I could see that you was looking at me and I could see that you was cracking a smile thinking you prick you're so happy right now aren't you (laughs) we did we spoke about that we had a really good laugh with Brad but also on a very serious note Brad uh, was fantastic as as a guest and opened up to us about uh some of his issues with with addiction previously that led to a really horrible health scare for him that, that completely changed his life for the better yeah. so um yeah listen to that and um yeah there's going to be some some interesting chat about that and hopefully something if you if you are someone that, that that's that's struggling in any way 
hopefully you'll listen particularly towards the end of this, this episode about uh some some advice that 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 brad gives for people that are suffering what he was suffering with i'll let you listen to that in, in the episode but um yeah you can check that out and hopefully take some some solace from it some positivity from it and and uh and heed his his words because that's someone that's speaking from experience that has, has turned their life around in a fantastic way so well done to brad and uh do you know what should we just get on with the show yes do it ladies and gentlemen here's brad wharton brad wharton how are you i am very well thank you gentlemen it's uh for once a lovely sunny friday afternoon in peterborough so who could ask for more Apart from not being in Peterborough, obviously. <laughs> I'm sure Peterborough's lovely. I can't think I've ever been to Peterborough, to be honest. Uh, well, yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe one day. Who knows? Will you take well, me out round the round the bars of Peterborough? Is that is that a date? I could, we... I could take, I could take to both of them, um, <laughs> or both, both of the good ones. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. excellent. Sounds great. Wicked. Well, we we've met briefly. We met. At, um... Uh, Cage, what was it? Cage Warriors. What was the number? Was that when Ian Gary? Ian Gary, Jack Grant. It was. It was Cage Warriors in the middle of the pandemic when everyone had yes. kind of forgot all the numbering, so it kind That's of blurred right. into one. Yeah, yeah. We 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 met you afterwards, um, uh, and, and had a had a natter at the hotel, um, and then since then you gave us a nice little shout out on one of the events as well. It was uh, it was lovely to hear that. Thank you very much. I was. And, abs- and- should I just say I was absolutely buzzing when that happened. When I was watching it, <laughs> I can't I can't remember if the first one was like if it was. Um, when George Hardwick was fighting someone, it wasn't George's last fight. It might've been the fight before. I can't remember who he was up against now, but uh, you mentioned like, Oh, I was listening to the MMA fan podcast. Cause George and Harry were on there. And I was like, oh, he's just said it. He said, the podcast. he said it. We're on fight pass. We've made it baby. Yes. Yeah. Now you've made it. <laughs> I got my kids in the front room and I was like, listen to this. And they were like, yeah. I was like, no, no, that's us. That's me and Blake. That's our podcast. They're like, all right, nice one, Dad. <laughs> couldn't give a shit. Kids couldn't give a shit. <laughs> couldn't care. Couldn't care. Brilliant. Well, look, um, we're looking forward to uh, having a deep dive uh, into the world of combat sports with you uh, today, Brad. And and, and like all, all, all guests, I guess, we, we, we're going to start at the very beginning and, and, and kind of ask about where your love and, and interest of, of, of combat sports began. Well, I guess um, originally it started as as many people of, of my generation did with pro wrestling. Uh, I loved wrestling as a kid. I loved the sort of larger than life characters and the you know the, the crazy you know stunts and athleticism of it. And I remember being very young and there being lots of talk of Frank Bruno in the house and Mike Tyson. Obviously, I was too young to watch the first Bruno Tyson fight live, but I remember that being talked about a lot and. I'm pretty sure I came home from uh, nursery one day, having drawn a picture of Bruno and Tyson, which was essentially just two stick men with red blobs on their hands. Um, but, you know, I guess I was three. So, you know, art is art at the end of the day, isn't it? Mm. Um, but yeah, it kind of went from there, really. It's like UK boxing was always sort of a thing. Prince Nazim uh, weirdly got into sumo wrestling at a very young age. Um, and I guess I kind of, I took like the pageantry. I've got. I've got to stop you there. Yeah. How well, does some? How does a young man get into sumo wrestling? <laughs> well, it was on Channel Four uh, in, I guess, the very late eighties, early nineties. I think Craig Charles did the commentary for it, and they You're kind of right, you know. Yeah, they they made it like a bit more sort of 
less sport, more entertainment side of things. You know, they gave all the guys nicknames and uh, I just remember watching that as a kid and kind of being mesmerized, seeing these massive dudes crashing into each other and thinking, oh, this is pretty cool. So I guess I kind of sort of took the the sports side of boxing and, and a bit of the sumo stuff and the pageantry from wrestling. And then obviously 96, Ken Shamrock showed up in the wrestling. And I was like, holy fuck, what's this UFC stuff? This sounds, this sounds pretty cool. Um, and then not long after that, I moved to Holland, which is a uh, the mecca of kickboxing, basically. It's the second biggest kickboxing nation in the world outside of Thailand. And at the time, they were just starting up uh, a sort of proto-MMA called uh, Mixed Fight or Free Fight, which was, if anyone knows, like the old prank race rules where you had the open palm strikes, rope breaks, that kind of thing. Um, a lot of the Dutch guys had been taken over to Japan in the early 90s to participate in pank race bouts and a kind of pro wrestling that was meant to look like a real fight. So they got legitimate athletes in and many of those came over from Holland and they kind of brought that style back with them. So around the, the sort of late nineties uh, to the turn of the century, Holland had this vibrant MMA scene going on. Um, there was a big show called too hot to handle, which was essentially like Dutch pride. So you had the ring and similar rules to pride uh, and I got to go and see all that live as a teenager, um, like 15, 16 years old, gone to those shows. And you just you just fall in love with it. Um, I, I remember seeing the first, my first ever UFC that I saw was, pretty sure it was a dodgy copy of UFC 3. And the first fight was Emmanuel Yarbrough, who was a sumo wrestler. Uh, six for eight, 560 pounds. And he took on a 180 pound, five foot 11 karate guy. And you watch movies and you think, okay, there's only one way this is going to end, right? The big guy's going to crush this little dude. And the little dude smashed him. And I was like, oh, my God, right? This is how I'm spending the rest of my life, like, figuring out what's going on here. Um, so, yeah, it was it, it was a, an early start for me. Um, and, yeah, it's been the, I guess, what are we on now? 2022? It's, it's been the vast majority of my adult life since, yeah, 20, 20, 25 years nearly now. I've been sort of involved either as a fan or in some capacity working. Yeah, I mean, I can what, what... totally relate to that kind of thing of like um, combat sports being sort of thrown at you from a really early age. I'm trying to think like, even like the, the, the cards, I mean, I can't relate to the, the sumo thing so much, but definitely like the pro wrestling stuff, like Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, all that stuff. But even like the cartoons, all the cartoons I grew up on, it was He-Man, Ninja Turtles, uh, you know, Spider-Man and, and all that stuff. And all of them had Thundercats. It all had like, an element of uh, combat with, laced within the stories of, of the cartoon. And I kind of think it, it's, it's strange in a way that a lot more men of our generation haven't just made that very obvious turn as you grow older to MMA. It's still that kind of like a sport that is growing, isn't it? And but I, I do think it seems like an obvious thing to, to move on to because we were very early on in, in our lives, I think, thrown these kind of combat-based TV shows and, and computer games. Like you, you put up something, I think, recently about um, about Streets of Rage, didn't you? You big Streets of Rage fan? Yeah. See, I'm the same. And I, Streets of Rage 2, for me, growing up my brother, we would complete it. It was amazing. We'd go back and do it again. And Streets of Rage 4 came out recently. And I was oh, what like, a game. It was amazing. It was like the old game. Just realized like, Stu's there like now, like, what the fuck are these guys talking oh, about? Oh, I'm thinking when you lads were like sitting there having your school dinners and playing that, I was probably about 35. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, but it, it, I, I find that interesting. I always wonder how much of 
that kind of exposure, particularly I think like that thing, toys, games, anything that was geared towards boys uh, from an early age has then impacted us enough to go, oh, I really want to check out this, you know, a combat sport or something like that. I think the two must probably be linked in some way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you look a lot, of, if you look at a lot of fiction, especially like episodic fiction from the late eighties, early nineties, and the cartoons, like you say, Ninja Turtles, Power Rangers, He Man, Thundercats, Centurions, what, whatever it is, all it is is bits of narrative linking fights. Yeah, there's the you know the good guy loses the first fight, and then there's a bit of story, and then he triumphs in the end. And and I guess that's like, in terms of the way I approach commentating on MMA, I try and tell those stories. I, I try not to just focus on the moment of what's happening in front of me. Yes, it's a sporting contest. Yes, this is guy A's skills. This is guy B's skills. Actually, there's there's some kind of backstory with every fight, whether it's guys who've maybe trained together in the past, whether it's a guy who's beaten someone else from the other guy's gym. It's getting that narrative, and that's what gets people invested long-term. Like Anyone can watch a fight and either enjoy it or not enjoy it, but if you're going to be a long-term fan of a sport, you have to follow the threads. And I'm very lucky. Obviously, I do a lot of work in the regional scene and with Cage Warriors. I've kind of had a lot of these stories be part of my career in that I've called these fights from, you know, when they were first-time amateurs to winning titles in Cage Warriors and then going on to the UFC. So I've been able to stitch those threads together. And, you know, one of the things I like I really enjoy in terms of, like, you know, speaking to people who, who, who talk to me about commentary is, like, they say, oh, I like the way that you said, oh, you know, I called this first amateur fight five years ago. And then you relate that to the fight. And that, for me, is the most fun part of it, telling, telling the stories that stitch the fights together. And, and and just in those sort of formative years of, when you said when you moved to, to, to Holland and such, and, and you, you know, exposed to, to, to them early um, mixed martial arts events and, and, and obviously kickboxing at, at such a high level there, like, what was you did you ever train was that something that ever sort of you know was was that something that appealed yeah so I, my dad took me to well my dad tried to take me to a, a muay thai school in in manchester when i was really young and they only took over 18s so i was kind of really miffed about that but then he found um like a mcdojo karate type place to take me to uh, so i did that from being about 7 um obviously like if you're in, if you live in holland and you don't train kickboxing and you like violence you're doing something wrong so uh <laughs> I, I got i got a bit in over there and i used to train with mates as well like so I, I went to an international school over there so there was kids from all over the world so we had like uh a lad from uh a lad from korea who uh had done taekwondo all his life and a couple of guys had done judo and wrestling so as kids like we were watching the ufc tapes and, and the, the, uh, like any kind of bogus MMA we could get our hands on at the time because it wasn't really being released properly. Like, sure, the my, the guy the guy who ran my local video shop used to get dodgy copies of UFC and Pride events, which is how I like I like, really got into following the big leagues. So we just we just watch all these tapes and like just try and copy it. And oh, okay, mate, he does a bit of wrestling, so he can he can kind of teach me this, and I'm doing a bit of kickboxing, um, and then it kind of all stitched together, which. I guess, you know, if you look at sort of late 90s, early noughties, that's kind of how everyone was learning. Um, I did train a little bit when I moved back to England, um, but I wasn't very good at fighting. I don't like getting hit in the face. Uh, so <laughs> I, uh, I, I've i kind of allowed it for a bit. Um, I, I've, I've had three knee surgeries as well. And 
I was just in a position where it's like, I, I can't take time off work to get my knee fixed again. And yeah. it just kind of dropped off from there. And now I'm nearly 40 and everything aches all the time. So it's, uh, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to start maybe doing a bit of gi jiu-jitsu soon. Um, the gentle art, as they say. And uh, pro- probably knacker every other limb that still works doing that. Well, let's let's talk about uh, commentary and 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 how that 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 first show, whatever that was, let, we're intrigued to know how that come about and where, where you decided to talk. Well, hang on a minute, I I like talking about this to people. Let's let's see if there's a, a career in this, or was it? Tell us the story. Well, it, it was kind of an accident, really. So um, I was living in Cambridge at the time, and a guy that I lived with went to university with a guy called Adam Tay, who uh, was starting up a grassroots amateur show called Full Contact Contender, which is is still going over a decade later. Um, and they've had like Paddy Pimblett's fought on there, Tom Aspinall's fought on there. Uh, they've had some big names sort of go through the doors, like en route to Cage Warriors uh, and, and so on. But he started it as an amateur grassroots. Uh, it was in a territorial army hall in Bolton. And... At the time, I was working as a journalist, and I really wanted to write something about grassroots MMA, like, you know, where, where these guys start. And this was back in the days where they were doing, uh, you know, no headshots and no ground and pound. It was, there was a loads of different rule sets knocking about. So I, I kind of found that really interesting about how the guys all progressed through it. Um, so I, my mate put me in touch with Adam, and I said, you know, I want to come down. And I want to write a piece on your show. And about a week before, he rang me up and said, uh, we've not got any commentators. I've kind of forgot to do it. Do you fancy doing it uh, with uh, my, my mate Jez? forgot to commentators. Is that what you said? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's his first show. <laughs> he, he, he forgot to do a lot of things. Um, the best thing he forgot to do was hire ring girls. Uh, so he had to run down to the local gentleman's club the night before and recruit some ring girls, uh, which, which was great. Um <laughs> Honestly, UK MMA is a treasure trove of stories like this. Um, but yeah, so he basically said, "Look, just come come down with come down with Jez, who was the mate who introduced me. Uh, you guys do some commentary, and if it's great, it's great. If it's not, it's not. Uh, I can only pay you in beer, and it'll be probably the first and last time you ever do it." Uh, so we did it, and I, I bought a cheap karaoke mixer that I plugged into my laptop, two microphones. We recorded some commentary. It was absolutely dreadful. And luckily, the guy who filmed the show uh, did a runner with the footage, so it's never seen the light of day. Um, but Adam uh, asked me back for the next show. So we next time, I decided to take it a bit more seriously. Um, I, at the time, I was, as I say, working as a journalist, sort of covering the UK MMA scene. Uh, I got my sort of early events in on the, that kind of amateur circuit, which is, you know, it wasn't there was no live streaming back then. This is like 2011. Uh, so there was nothing being streamed live. It was all just going on YouTube after the fact. So it was a good way to learn. Um, and then in 2012, Cage Warriors hired me as um, sort of a backstage interviewer doing, uh, I did pre and post fight interviews and then little kind of documentary pieces on fight week leading up to uh, events. And obviously John Gooden in 2013 moved to the UFC. And uh, I got, I think four days notice. I just got an inbox message saying, uh, Graham says you're commentating this weekend. Good luck. And uh, yeah, that was it. That, that was 2013, and I've been doing that ever since. So you didn't get asked to commentate; you were told to commentate. Oh yeah, told 100. percent Yeah. <laughs> I know you guys have interviewed Graham before. Yeah. He's not one of life's askers; he's more of one of life's tellers. He also doesn't seem to be a bloke you'd want to say no to either. <laughs> it was mad. It was literally, it was on the other side of the world as well. So I, I'm I'm kind of like packing my bag on a Monday, 
and I had to get a flight to Jordan on the Tuesday and then and then commentate on the Friday. It was uh, I obviously never done anything live before, let alone live television. Uh, so it's pretty daunting. Um, but I thought you can't screw this up. Like it, there, there's no second takes doing it live, right? Well, that was the other thing as well. So normally, like we would pre-record the intro to the show, but the machine that they had over there didn't work. They're, they've got this like ancient truck that they had in Jordan production truck, and the, what they would use to re-record it and splice it in didn't work. So I was told a couple of hours before the show started, you're going to have to do it live. So I figured, well, look. If you fuck it up, you're out. So you can't fuck it up. Like you've just got to do it. And uh, well, they had me back, so I guess that's all right. Wow. I mean, that's that's serious pressure. You know, feel, you know, the, going live must be you know in, in, insanely terrifying, and also putting that pressure on of like, if I fuck up, that's it. Like, how do you, you know, and, and do you still do you still get nerves now? Nah. Like, and, and if so, how, how do you kind of deal with that? I. I have nerves now worse than when I started. Um, I, I, I think I kind of spoke to you guys about it uh, a little bit when we met. Like I've, I had some really bad health problems over the past few years. Sorry, yeah. I had a heart attack a few years ago. And ever since then, I've had um, really bad like anxiety issues. Like every time my heart starts, my heart has a, it goes off rhythm every now and again, it starts beating really fast. And I just went through this stage of thinking every time that was happening, I was having a heart attack. And it just gave me massive anxiety because obviously when you're stood in front of a camera and you're about to go live and you're getting counted down, your heart starts going fast. That's perfectly natural. But at the time, my head was a bit twisted and I just I just couldn't reconcile it with it being a, a normal thing. Um, it got even worse in the pandemic era when um, we were doing the empty arena shows. I, I figured the empty arena shows would be a lot easier because, you know, there's no crowd, there's no noise, it's nice and quiet but everyone's looking at you and it's silence. And obviously you've got like two minutes silence before you go on air where they're playing out, you know, stuff to the broadcast that's not being in the arena. And it was terrible. I, I got to the point where I was literally looking for doors to run out of. It, it, it was that bad. And um, I think the best thing that ever happened to me, and I'm not one of these people who likes sharing a lot of my personal life on Twitter, but the best thing that ever happened to me was going on Twitter and just explaining what had been going on over the past like five years or so. I was like, yeah, look, I had a really bad drug problem. That led to a heart attack. That's led to massive anxiety. And that's where I am now. And this is what I'm doing about it. And honestly, from that day on, it was like a weight off my shoulders. Um, and now I get the nerves still, but it's the good nerves that I used to get that I used to enjoy. Like, you guys have been in the arena when Cage Warriors starts, right? And they play Thunderstruck. Mm. That used to be like a moment of dread for me over the past couple of years. But now, banging my foot on the floor. I mean, I've, don't get me wrong. I've heard it like two million more times than they ever need to hear it over the past 10 years. But now I'm enjoying it again and like actually enjoying that countdown and and and, and enjoying the fact that it's about to start and the show's about to start and this is what I love doing and I'm going to do it and it's it's not going to kill me. It's not a heart attack. It's just good fun. I don't want to delve like too much into this if you're, if you're uncomfortable talking about it. No, no, it's all good, man. But, it's all good. I mean, how was... How, how was it like knowing that... Because, I mean, how old were you when you had the heart attack? Um, let's think now. So 20th of April this year will be five years clean. So uh, I'm 38, well so done, 30, 33. Yeah, so I mean, firstly, yes, amazing and, and well done for that. What an amazing achievement. But also, 
the being 33 and having a heart attack that I can't even you, you just immediately think of heart attacks as bit I mean obviously we're hearing more stories recently of sports stars and like but I yeah, don't know yeah. they, they they say there's there's certain heart issues or something like that but that maybe sounds slightly different to maybe what you you went for particularly if it was sort of in a way self-induced due to an addiction issue yeah yeah i was just eating too much cocaine i'd love to say it was like some yeah. like overly athletic sporting thing but no <laughs> i was just eating too much cocaine but so, so i mean what what's that like getting that wake-up call someone tapping you on the shoulder and going hey you you carry on that's it you're you're done how how do you because that must be such a for want of a more eloquent expression quite a head fuck yeah absolutely I mean, so I'd started having issues a couple of months prior. I'd like, I collapsed in a supermarket. I'd lost all the feeling down my left side. And that's what I saw when I started like going into hospital with issues with it. Um, and the wake up call just didn't come. And I just carried on doing it and carried on doing it. And I've always been one of those people who was like, well, you know, if I want to stop doing it, I'll just stop doing it. I'll be fine. And then I kind of realized that actually I'm not stopping doing it. I'm carrying on doing it. Um, and I remember being in a really bad way, one, uh, well, I guess early morning, um, ended up having to have an ambulance called out, got taken to the hospital. Uh, I, was, I was up in Manchester and um, a nurse came over and said, we've got to move you to a different hospital. And I, I just figured it was like Sunday morning and they were getting all like the drunks in and everything. And it was a small hospital. They were just moving me somewhere else. And they kept asking for all my family's contact details and stuff. And I was like, oh, no, I, my girlfriend finds out about this. She, like, you know, she's she's already told me, like, I'm on the last straw kind of thing. And I don't want my family to know. And um, they just pestered me and pestered me and pestered me. And eventually they put me in this ambulance and they put the lights and the siren on. And the paramedic who got in the back of the ambulance with me, um, she was saying, look, you know, you're in the best place. You're in the best hands. And I'm thinking like, I th- you're just moving me, right? What, what, what's going on? Like, I'm, I'm planning my trip back home already. And she just looked at me and went, you've just had a heart attack. And that was it. Like it literally, it, it felt like being punched in the chest, man. Like I lit- chucked up all over myself, um, started crying. And then I was like, right. Okay. I need to tell my family now. Um, but that that was kind of it. That was like the like you say the wake the wake up call, um, and that that was the day I decided right. Like you, you've come you've come so close this time. I had to go and have the um, uh, oh man, I always forget the name of the procedure they do. But essentially, they open uh, an artery in your wrist and they stick a, a line in all the way up your arm into your heart and they squirt ink into your heart so they can see if anything's blocked if they need to put a stent in. And uh, they couldn't sedate me because I'd taken so much and I didn't know how much I'd taken. They didn't know what was a safe amount of sedation drugs to, get, to give me. Uh, so I had to have that with no sedation whatsoever. So they had like seven or eight nurses basically had to pin down my arms and legs. And you can feel this thing going up your arm and into your chest. And there's a screen next to you where you can actually see the ink getting squirted in and everything. And uh I remember them like kind of finishing the procedure and then this nurse just looking at me and she was like, this needs to stop now, doesn't it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, this needs to stop. And, and that was it. That was, that, that was the, uh, that was the wake up call. And like I say, five years in a couple of days. So good times. Amazing, mate. Well, well, well done. That's, that's incredible. Absolutely. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Absolutely. Um, having that kind of, uh, you know, you're speaking about, you know, difficulties with your heart. And one of the other things when that thunderstruck music starts is you're standing next to somebody else that has also had, you know, yeah. all sorts of, you know, issues with, with, with his heart. That, that The fact that he's, you know, impeded his, you know, his, his, his you know, competing career as a, as a, as a martial artist. Um, I want to sort of move on a little bit uh, and, and, and talk about, Dan Hardy and, and your relationship with Dan and, and how that come about and, and, and the chemistry that you guys clearly have. Yeah, it's crazy, really. So, obviously, I, I first knew Dan as being a fan of his. Like, you know, I was a fan of Cage Warriors when he was competing. He had a legendary uh, career in Cage Warriors. Um, it's, it's kind of one of those fights that people don't really talk about it because they never had access to it at the time. But I'm pretty sure you can get it on Fight Pass now. But he had a legendary fight with a guy called Matt Thorpe. Uh, he was a five-rounder um, back in the days when, you know, regional fights just didn't go that long. Um, and it, it's generally regarded amongst, like, hardcore fans and kind of members of the community as one of the greatest UK MMA fights of all time. So, like, seeing that fight and then obviously following his career through the UFC was awesome. Uh, I used to have a mohawk myself. Didn't copy Dan, but, you know, we had one at the same time. So I guess, kind of, uh, who, you know, who knows? Uh, but, I, you know, I used to dye my, my mohawk red a bit as well, like when I got, when I got to the UFC and watch him fight. Um, so to eventually end up working with him was just awesome. Like, uh, not just saying this because I have to see him every couple of months, but I, I genuinely believe he's the best analyst in the game. Um, I think, the, like, he, he kind of... It was a weird time with Cage Warriors in terms of commentary because obviously for years it was me and Josh Palmer. We did like six or seven years together. And obviously Josh moved to the US, Dan Strauss came in, and then Dan Hardy came in not long after that. So there was like some big changes and it's just clicked. Like there's 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 no like magic formula to it, I don't think. Like we just seem to be able to get on together. Uh, I think the biggest thing that we have as a team is that we know when to talk and more importantly, we know when to not talk. Like Dan Hardy and I know as soon as it hits the ground, shut up, let Dan Strauss talk about the grappling. 
because he's excellent at it. And we know that when there's anything that needs to be added in terms of the fighter's perspective and, and striking, we both shut up and let Dan Hardy do it. And when there's gaps that need filling, story that needs telling, things that need stitching together, things that need promoting, that's when I talk. Um, and, and I think if you, you know, not not to sort of toot our own horn so much, but if you go back and, and watch Cage Warriors and then compare it to a lot of other shows, where especially with the three-man booth, the worst thing about the three-man booth is guys talking over each other. And we really, really don't do that. And, and I think that's one of the things that makes the Cage Warriors commentary team so good. I wish I could say this is how to do it. This is how you can do it. And this is how anyone else can do it. But it just seemed to click. It just seemed organic. Well, yeah, more than clicked. I mean, there's a lot of people out there. I've, I think uh, well, a friend of our show, and I think a friend of yours as well, Sean Sheehan, is I think regularly yeah, yeah. on some of his stuff. Like Cage Warriors is the best commentary team in MMA. When there's people that you see as like your peers or people that have been about around mixed martial arts for a long, long time, like people like Sean and, and people elsewhere, just talking about how good your commentary is and your team set up is, how does that make you feel? I'm not. I don't like it myself, to be honest. Like, really? Uh, yeah. I, I love not, praise. I bloody love praise, <laughs> mate. <laughs> Can't get enough of oh, it. Don't, don't get me wrong. I like it in private. Like you know, when 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 I'm when I'm sitting there reading things on my own, I'm like, yeah, sick, cool, awesome. But like, I don't. You know, I'm not like one of one of my things. And I think I don't like to criticize um, my peers at all. But one of the things I really don't like is when is when commentators kind of make the show about themselves, like. I'm quite content to sort of sit back and, and just tell the story. And like, if it was up to me, I'd never be on camera. I'd just be talking about fights. But I understand, you know, it is part of the gig. But to, to hear praise from people that I respect, people like Sean, um, you know, that, that's awesome. You know, like the, the Severe MMA guys uh, voted me commentator of the year last year. And I know it's just a silly thing on the internet, but like it genuinely means a lot. Um like, you know, people like myself, people like Dan Hardy, people like Dan Strouts, in, in various different ways, you know, when you think back now, like we've dedicated the vast majority of our adult lives to combat sports. So obviously to have people recognise that, it's very nice. Like uh, I'm not I'm not someone who's sat there, you know, vanity searching myself on Twitter looking for it, but it, it's, it's nice to see. And it's especially nice to see from, you know, people who I know are long-time fans of the sport or people who were involved in the sport and, and have been for a long time. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it and, it and it makes it worthwhile. Well, and, and talking about that, you know, the, 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 you know, seeing these kind of things sort of develop and happen over over time, I, I want to ask you now, um, what have been the most sort of significant progressions and developments that you've seen in MMA uh, over the last sort of 10 or so years? I mean, of, of the last 10 years, I would say uh, the biggest development has been the access to streaming for regional promotions. Um, you know, in the UK and, and in Europe, if you go back 10, 12, 15 years, uh, you know, you were literally having to buy, if you didn't buy a ticket to the show, you had to rely on the promoter, maybe having some DVDs made to actually see the fights mm. or, you know, some dodgy secondhand YouTube video that someone had filmed on there. Nokia 3310 kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but now it's very easy to get your product out to uh, to everyone. Now, there, there's an upside and a downside to that. If the product that you present is poor, people are not going to want to come and watch it. If the product you present is good, uh, that's going to sell you tickets to your next event, possibly. Um, you know, we have things like Fight Pass now, which which is, you know, less than 10 years old. 
which which is absolutely incredible. You know, you can literally watch every UFC fight in the history of the UFC. You can watch every Pride fight. You can watch every King of the Cage fight. If you've got the time, you can sit and watch the evolution of the sport from, uh, you know, the no holds barred slash Valetudo era of the early 90s um, and, and the pro wrestling influenced uh, 90s period in Japan through the Pride era, through the, the dark era of the UFC, up to Ortiz versus Shamrock, up to the Ultimate Fighter, up to Brock Lesnar, up to McGregor and Rousey, and it and now it's turned into something which is a worldwide global phenomenon. Uh, and you could you can do that for what like 10 quid a month or something on Fight Pass, uh, which is absolutely insane. You know, you could watch a regional MMA show from uh Belarus for four quid at the weekend. I, every weekend there's, there's there's access to it. You know, I, I remember back in the day, sort of nearly 20 years ago now on, on like the Sherdog forums, people would do threads like, you know, what are your dreams for mixed martial arts? People would say, oh, a UFC every month, just so we've got a fight to watch every month. And now you can watch shit every two days. Like it's, it, yeah. it's incredible. Um, and obviously like as a commentator, I, I take my role in that very seriously. Like in, in terms of the, you know, the, the fact that these local shows that used to be just recorded for DVD or YouTube as throwaway things are now live broadcasts. Uh, it kind of gives you the sort of uh, metaphorical kick up the ass to, you know, put yourself in gear and make sure the product does look like a professional product. It does look like a real sport and not just, you know, a lot of guys in a working men's club throwing down. One of the things um, that, that fight passes enabled, uh, you know, people like Blake and I when prepping for podcasts, it means that, you know, we can go back and watch early early cage warriors fights and you know if we're fighting if we're talking to somebody like paddy or or molly and such um you know that's enabled us to prep and get a little little bit of backstory i just want to know what kind of goes into the prep now for you do you just rely on the experience that you've had from you know the years in the industry but like if, if you've got for instance the next cage warriors event coming up like what what what's the kind of prep that brad Wharton does um I, I always used to sort of take pride in the fact, probably like a bit arrogantly, that I never did notes. I didn't really do any research. Like I just kind of, I, I, I seem to have the kind of memory that can just just recall fights from 10, 15 years ago. And, you know, especially the, the younger guys coming through because I've called so many of their fights on the amateur circuit. Mm. Uh, and, and I kind of know those stories and I have been a part of them. Um, but when the trilogy started, I'll, I'll be honest, like I had to start writing some stuff down because, you know, you've gone from doing like 11 fights in a weekend to doing 30 fights in a weekend. And, you know, th 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 there's a lot of information there. And, uh, and, and obviously, you know, not everyone um, has been on that journey with us at Cage Warriors. There's new fans joining all the time. They need to know a bit of history. So what I tend to do uh, at the moment is um, the guys that I know, I'll write a page in my notebook for everyone. Um, and the guys that I know, I'll kind of leave blank. If something mega has happened in their life or their career recently, I'll maybe jot that down or, you know, I'll, I'll watch some interviews that people have done. Like I'll watch your guys' podcast ahead of the Cage Warriors events uh, and just note little things down. Um, and, uh, you know, something like you know, if someone's, you know, having a kid or, you know, they've just bought a new house or just kind of little bits of color that I can add in. Um, but apart from that, it's just a case of like, I have a, a sort of uh, uh, a very shoddily put together Microsoft Excel document with everyone's records and when their amateur career started, when they turned pro, 
how many wins they've got by submission. Makes it a lot easier nowadays because tap holds ensure dog like tabulate everything. So it's easy to kind of like pull that information off. So you've got uh, what I call like the boring stats, like, you know, oh, he's had three wins by submission and two by TKO. And, you know, just, just kind of things you can fill a little bit of time with. Um, but, you know, my like real joy in like doing research is actually talking to people um you know and ask it uh, like the ufc for example do fighter meetings where they will literally sit all the fighters down in front of all the commentators and you can ask them whatever you want obviously we don't have the luxury of that time at cage warriors and especially on the regional shows where the fighters only turn up on the day or maybe the day before to weigh in um but i just try and talk to as many people as possible and you know try and get a feel for who they are as a person um if you want to get people invested you know like i was saying earlier it's about telling the stories but also making them relatable as characters. And I think if you can build a rapport with someone, actually learn a little bit about that person, uh, and you can then put that out onto the broadcast. Well, you know, this isn't just a guy who's a great kickboxer and has done wrestling for three years. This is a guy who's got three kids and, you know, one of his kids um, maybe needs special education. So he's fighting to raise the money to do that. Or, uh, you know, this is a guy who does charity work, or this is a guy uh, you know, who's turned his life around after, uh, you know, having a, a bad start as a kid, something like that. that these are the things that make people relate. Um, and people will always relate to those stories and they'll always invest themselves into something that, that they can relate to. Um, Blake, I'm sure you're absolutely sick and tired of talking about the in-betweeners, but the in-betweeners will always be funny because every kid will go through those points in their life at some point, yeah. right? Like if if you're watching it as a, as a as a 15, 16 year old now, you will find it funny. If you're watching it as a 15, 16 year old in 30 years time, you'll find it funny because everyone has those experiences. So for me as a commentator, if I can take those experiences that fighters have had and put that into the broadcast. So this isn't just a fighter or a martial artist. This is a human being that may be going through the same shit that you or me are going through. Um, I think that just makes the, the all round product more, um, more relatable to people, and, and that's yeah. what's going to get them interested in it. Yeah, and as you say, it's those those storylines and things. And then every every example you gave there of um, a fighter that's also got X, Y, Z, whatever whatever it might be, they're all examples that like the average person on the street when they when they think of a, a fighter or they think of a mixed martial artists, their their immediate thought is oh some lout some thug something like that and all of the examples you just gave which are genuine examples i mean we've had plenty of people on this show that talk about exactly what you've just spoken about these really good people that are doing stuff for their communities that are helping you know jordan Vuchenik we had on recently you know at, at, like was it 23 or 24 years of age he became a stepdad to to a, a, a young young child and 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 you know the, the things like these 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 good people that are doing good in the world that's it's not spoken about enough and that's one of the things that we like to try and 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 advertise on this podcast is that these guys are not meatheads they're not thugs they're not any of those things that you're necessarily talking about obviously there's going to be some that slip through the net as in any walk of life but there are some really great wholesome lovely people just doing this kind of mad sport that we all love um and one of the things i wanted to ask you was there are still large portions of society that will and i always say this is particularly my, my my own kind of um area of work you know the kind of arts industries 
don't necessarily look too favorably on on combat sports. Some people still do see it as as barbaric and all those kind of things. What I wanted to ask you was, what do do you think that MMA or, or I'm sure I'm sure you do, but, but but could you put into words how much you feel like MMA actually benefits society or people within society? I mean, it's. Look, look the, the the number one thing with combat sports is you know the discipline that it can instill in people, uh, and whether that's MMA at the moment, whether it was kickboxing in the nineties and eighties and, and boxing before that. One of the things that it's been really good at is getting people out of bad situations, giving them discipline, giving them focus, um, and I think that still rings true today. You know, I I know people who have been steered away from lives of crime. Uh, lives of addiction, lives where they are generally just wasting their time, wasting their breath on, on stuff that uh, they shouldn't be doing, and, and being able to be involved in a combat sport, which you know it's it's not like playing five aside every weekend. You've got to be focused. You've got to be committed. You've got to focus on your diet. You know you can't be going out on the beer every three or four days. You know that there, there's a commitment involved. Uh, and the rewards are so big because you see the rewards physically, you see the rewards mentally. And if you do want to compete, which you don't have to, uh, many people don't. But if you do want to compete, you see the rewards there as well. And there's a comradeship too. You know, it, people say this is the most uh, individual team sport in the world. And that's true. You know, there's only one person in the ring or the cage with you at the end of it. But the whole development process, you're building relationships with a coach, you're building relationships with friends that you might not have in the outside world. And you're relying on each other. You're relying on your friends to make you better. And you're relying, your friends are relying on you to, uh, to make yourself better. Like, you know, me, me personally, I, I do not know where I would be right now if it wasn't for Cage Warriors. Because through all the stuff that I went through, getting to the next Cage Warriors show was the thing that kept me kind of ticking over um and, and i know there are a lot of people in the industry who have uh the same or or, or similar issues i think mar mixed martial arts is a, is a wonderful thing all martial arts are a wonderful thing they teach you a lot about yourself they teach you a lot about how to interact with other people they teach you a lot about relying on other people when you need to and uh, and admitting that it's okay to rely on other people like i'm biased obviously but it's the best sport in the world Absolutely. i agree um, only recently, you know, we've seen yet more Cage Warriors champs um, get the strap and, and head into the UFC. And, 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 and two that I want to just kind of touch upon um, have gone into uh, the UFC with such hype around them. Obviously, I'm talking about Paddy uh, and I'm talking about Ian Gary. Um, and I'm just interested to know how you see the future uh, for both of them, gentlemen. Ah, oh, man, I, you know... Two guys who I think the sky is the limit for, um, you know, potentially in very different ways. Like Paddy, I remember being a 15-year-old kid and posting on the Cage Warriors forums, I'm the best bantamweight in the country. Who wants to dispute this? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Man. The guy... <laughs> If I had if I had that guy's confidence, I'd 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 be uh, I'd I'd be the Bill Gates of the world by now probably I don't know, um, but look he is he is a legitimate superstar. Uh, what I like to call it is the water cooler test. So uh, you know most of my life I've worked in various like IT related stuff, and when people ask me about a guy at the water cooler, that's when you know they've broke into it. And obviously it first happened with Brock Lesnar. 
then Ronda Rousey, then Conor McGregor. Like, I talk to non-MMA people now, and they all want to know about Paddy. Um, I remember getting into a taxi in Liverpool years ago when he was headlining Cage Warriors, and he had a billboard outside Lime Street Station. And I think every taxi driver that I had that weekend had had Paddy in the back of his cab, or Paddy's mom, or Paddy's uncle, or someone related to Paddy. Like, it, it, it was a legitimate kind of mainstream phenomenon. Um, as far as like how far uh, he can go in the sport, look, this is a sport of who knows because everything can change in an instant. Um, Paddy has got all the charisma, uh, all the attitude. He's got everything it takes to be a star. Um, obviously, you know, when it, when it comes to fighting, he's exceptional as well. He's got a ridiculous skill set. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of people say, well, he's going to get knocked out at some point if he continues fighting like he does, but he's not going to continue fighting like he does because he's going to learn a bit and he's going to get a bit better with every fight. Um, so I'm very excited to see how the UFC match him. I think they're going to build him nice and slowly like they did with Connor. Um, whether he gets to be a UFC champion, look, there's a handful of people that get to that level. But what I do think about Paddy is that he will have a long, successful career. He'll make a shitload of money and he will retire on his own terms. And, and really, that's all you can ask. Uh, and I think with Ian, you know, probably a similar thing. Um, he's very, very charismatic. I don't think he's got the same kind of it factor as Paddy on the mic where he can instantly get an entire room of people behind him, but that will come with time. You know, he's a bit younger than Paddy as well. Remember, he went to the UFC very early in his career, I believe 24. Um, in terms of his skill set, though, absolutely ridiculous. Uh, you know, he, he's got a couple of things to shore up with his defences, but over at Stanford MMA, one of the top gyms in the world right now, there's absolutely no reason why this guy can't go on to be a high-level competitor in the UFC. And, like, early 20s, man, like... He's got five years until he reaches yeah. his physical prime. He's going to be an absolute terror if he can stay injury-free. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, oh, oh, we were about to talk over each other. <laughs> we're about to do the, the, the worst three-man booth thing you can do, Stu. Talk over each other. In front of Brad, it would have been horrendous. Um, I'm out. I'm finished. He's done. done. He's done. <laughs> Cage Warriors, as you say, has given you so many great um, opportunities. And it's taken you to some some places I don't think you probably thought you'd ever visit in the world. Like, what, what's some of the most memorable moments of, of Cage Warriors abroad for you? Um, I mean, at the time, Chechnya was good, but uh, obviously that was before the whole uh, gay genocide thing, so we're not going back there. But at the time, it was like one of those places, like, I'm never going to come here on holiday. And very few people, I think we were the first official visit by a foreign body in like 11 years or something. Wow. Um, which, which was insane. The whole week was nuts. Obviously it was very like kind of orchestrated and we were very well looked after. And, you know, it, it was almost, you know, I've got friends who've been to North Korea and they've taken like the guided tours around the city. It was very much like that. We were told to stay in the hotel. And then the Sunday after the event, we got like a little walk around. Okay, go down that street. You'll be fine. And there's people at the local cafe giving us food and giving us drinks and things. It was all very pantomime. Um, yeah. So that was a weird experience. Um, the maddest thing that's ever happened to me with Cage Warriors uh, was going to Jordan and there being the first snowstorm in 15 years <laughs> in the Middle East. Now, you would think, okay, it's a snowstorm. All right, we'll get the gritters out and everything. But they don't have gritters over there. So there's no gritting trucks. Uh, and the people who live in Jordan have never driven in snow before. 
and they were just people were just driving down the street tapping their brakes sliding all over the place um we had we obviously had a coach to take us from the hotel to the arena which is about normally a 10 minute drive it took about an hour um so we, we we managed to get there and when we got there there was all these local kids doing donuts in bmws in the parking lot in the snow um which was just terrifying because you're thinking one of these guys they're just going to lose the back end and yeah crazy so we got in there the show started it's the only time in 10 years that i worked for cage warriors that a show started late because we literally had to send two lads outside to dig the broadcast truck out of, of the snow it was that heavy they were they had a shovel taking the snow off the top of the broadcast truck and then we get back in the coach at the end of the show to drive back to the hotel and they just can't get it out of the car park because there was like a there was a slight incline and he was like yeah my my, my coach doesn't go up hills in snow like this so everybody got off the coach and bear in mind, there's people there who've like literally flown in from Australia who are wearing flip-flops and shorts and t-shirts and me and my three-piece suit, my winkle pickers. And we're all trying to trudge through uh, knee-high snow and locals who were just driving past just started picking us up. Like people in pickup trucks and vans just started putting us in the back of their vans and taking us back to the hotel. Um we got, I think we got to the hotel probably maybe about two in the morning and had some food. They got us to the airport the next day and they were like, look, you could be here for three days because it's okay for the planes to take off now, but the, all the staff who live out up in the hills, they can't get in. So, um, yeah, we basically stayed in the airport bar for like two days and uh, things got quite larry. There were um, some, of, some of the Scottish guys took over the British Airways announcement desk and started making uh, <laughs> announcements about the reliability of British Airways flights. But probably the less said about that, the better. <laughs> Amazing. Um, we, we, we spoke about some people that have obviously just um, moved up to the UFC. Um, I just want to talk to you uh, a little bit, Brad, um, about the current crop of Cage Warriors fighters and who you see being the, uh, the the next big thing? Man, you know, there, there's so many. And, and, and it, if I start naming names, I'm probably going to leave someone out and uh, they're going to get upset and I'm going to have to deal with that next time I, I'm a cage warriors. <laughs> but um, look, you know, you, look, you guys know the score, right? Look, the Harbick brothers, both really, really yeah. good. The Figlat brothers, both really, really good. Um, you know, Don Wooding, I, I wouldn't really call Don Wooding like kind of a, an up-and-comer. Um, you know, he, he's only in his mid-20s, but he's been fighting since he was 15, 16. Um, so, we, you know, we can all see the level he's at. Uh, Nathan Fletcher, mm-hmm. um, who obviously Don beat in that title fight. And, you know, there's, there's some interesting par- parallels there because Don took some fights in Bama early on in his career for a guy called Andy Young, for example, and it was way too soon for him. And I think that was a similar thing when Nathan Fletcher fought Don Wooding. Nathan didn't do anything bad. He just fought a guy who had a bit more experience on him. Mm. And, you know, if those guys fight 10 times, they probably win five each. So really interested to see Nathan come back. Um, Oh man, trying to think who else now. Luke Riley looks absolutely sensational. Uh, at, the, at the recent event, he had a, a crazy fight with Jack Eglin, mm. who's another, another one of the top up-and-comers. Um, Christian Leroy Duncan just won the middleweight belt. Yeah. An absolute testament as to why you need a long and storied amateur career and why you shouldn't care about your wins and losses at amateur. Just go and fight the best guys. Your record get, gets wiped clean. He's now 6-0. He's a world champion, coming off a highlight reel knockout. 
Um, and I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Manny Akpan, who scored that absolutely yes. ridiculous uh, KO. I mean, I, I first called Manny's fight um, one of Manny's amateur fights in 2014, I think it was. Um, Carl Tanswell, uh, the, the late great coach of SBG Manchester, pulled me to one side at the beginning and said, look, I've got this kid. He's something special. And then he came and knocked the guy out with a spinning hook kick on, wow. on that night. And I was like, bam, yeah, this kid is good. And obviously, as we've seen in his Cage Warriors career, uh, he's looked absolutely fantastic. Uh, man, you know, we had we had to give those crypto bonuses out. And obviously we 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 said, look, put you know, put the checkbook away. This one's done. Unfortunately, he missed weight, so we didn't get the bonus for that knockout. But my goodness, if that isn't one of the best knockouts I've ever seen in my yeah. life, what is man? Absolutely crazy. Yeah. Go on, Blake. I was gonna say we you know, in terms of like prospects that seem to fulfill their potential or at least um get people very very interested we had one only recently in in the ufc by the name of hamzat shamayev not sure if you've heard of him um yeah i think so yeah um what what do you think of 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 hamzat's rise and that fight with gilbert because there's, there's a narrative out there that um that his 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 stock has slightly dropped a little bit, and I can kind of understand that. I mean, I still think Hamzat has definitely got every chance of becoming a champion, but I think that what we said on our post fight show, what I said on post fight show, was that I feel like that fight with Gilbert Burns humanized Hamzat. He went from being almost a mythical MMA creature that everyone's like, we don't even have footage of this guy's faults yet, to now. There's three rounds of war with Gilbert Burns that who, you know, third number, third ranked guy in, in the welterweight division or whatever, or third or second. And um, and so Hamzat did incredibly well to win that fight. But as I say, we, we've now seen the, some flaws in Hamzat. He can go away and work on that. But other fighters will look at that now, like the Colby Covingtons of the world, who Dana White has said is possibly the next match. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market up for, for Hamzat we'll possibly be looking at a fight and going I reckon I can deal with him well put a good pace on him any of that kind of stuff so what are your thoughts on Hamzat and the, the mystique that's gone before and what, what is what's his ceiling now well I, I think you know like you say that that fight did humanise him a little bit that's because he is a human being you know we, we, we tend to mythologise these guys um, when they come up as fast as a guy like Hamzat does, which is rare, you know, there aren't many people who've done what he's done in the length of time he's done. And, you know, there, there will be a lot of people who haven't seen his pre-UFC fights where he's looked even more terrifying because obviously, you know, it's a different level of opposition. Um, but what I think this fight recently speaks to is how good Gilbert Burns is. So I think if you're if you're taking the view that, oh, hang on, this Hamzat guy isn't all he's crapped up to be, then you're vastly underestimating who Gilbert Burns is because that guy is taking out 95% of welterweights in the world and, and the same in the lightweight division as well. Remember, he's a lightweight that moved up yes. and Hamza is a middleweight that's moved down. 
uh, Gilbert Burns is very, very, very good. Um, and you are going to struggle to look good against that guy. Um, Stu's laughing at me because of some things I said in the pre-fight show. I don't know if it's pre to some pre. I don't know if you heard that, Brad, but I had some things to say about Gilbert Burns' record, and now Stu's just smugly looking at me <laughs> with a smile on his face because someone with way more knowledge and experience than me is talking about how amazing Gilbert Burns is. So that's, that's why I can't keep Thank you very face. much, Bradley. This was completely worth it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, there's 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 a really cliched saying in MMA, and it is that there are levels to this game, right? and there are levels to this game. And Gilbert Burns is on a certain level. He's not going to win every fight he's in, but if you look at the past like 15, 20 fights of his career, he's fighting good guys. So he's not losing to idiots, you know. And he's beaten some great guys as well. And he's a I mean, for me, I think Hamza should have taken one, maybe two fights before the Gilbert Burns fight. If they wanted to slow build him, that's what they should have done. Hamza is obviously an absolute basket case, and he's gone like, "Yeah, sick. I'll fight anyone. I'll fight Gilbert Burns." Um, and yeah, it did. You know, it, it, I'm not going to say it, exp- it exposed the flaws because I don't think Hamza did a massive amount wrong in that fight. No. It's just that he fought a really, really good guy, and when you've got two guys who are really, really good. Um, and especially like Burns, you know, kind of had a point to prove because he was the battle-tested veteran going in against this young up-and-comer. He's got, you know, he's got something to prove. He's, he's perhaps got more to lose than Hamza. Hamza loses that fight, doesn't matter. He's lost to Gilbert Burns, who's like the gatekeeper for the elite level of the division. If, if, if Burns loses that fight in, in the kind of fashion that we've seen Hamza dispose of other guys, he's got a lot more to lose. And when you see two guys going in a situation like that, and then the fight ends up being like like, like it was... Who can complain? Neither guys come out of it looking worse. Yeah. Um, there are going to be more people now who fancy their chances against Hamza, whether rightly or wrongly. Uh, Burns still remains exactly where he is. It's kind of that gatekeeper level guy. And for Hamza, I think it's going to be a real reality check that uh, if if he was coasting on an aura, which I'm not saying he was, but if he ever did have any thoughts in his mind of, I'm the daddy, I can smash anyone. Now he knows that there's that extra level. And that's where it comes back to there are levels to this game. Now he knows he's got to level up past Gilbert Burns if he's going to beat a Kobe Covington and if he's going to beat a Kamara Roosman. This guy's going to be a UFC champion one day. Whether it's this year, whether it's next year, whether it's at middleweight, whether it's at welterweight, he will be a UFC champion. How he gets there, uh, who he has to beat, I'm not sure. But he definitely will. And this fight has been the biggest uptick in his learning curve. And how he reacts to this is going to be very telling as to how quickly he gets that championship fight. Brad, when you watch these fights, uh, you must be so used to, you know, the minute you hear that the, the buzzer for the round go to kick into work mode. When you're sitting there with your feet up, you know, a cup of tea in your hand watching UFC, are you commentating in your own head? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you ask the missus, I'm sometimes commentating out of my own head, which uh, <laughs> apparently is really irritating. But, you know. <laughs> she met me at a Cage Warriors event, so she knew what she was getting herself into. Um, no, I, I, try, I, I try not to. I really try not to. Like, I do, I do less events now than I used to. Like, when I was at my absolute busiest, I was doing, like, sometimes, you know, 30-plus, ne- nearly 40 events a year. Um, and it's, it's, it's just too much to be honest. So like now when, when I watch events, I really enjoy watching them as a fan. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of like, um, 
like your IPAs and your sours and your stouts and things. So I'll, I'll, I'll get a couple of, I'll go down to the bottle shop. I'll treat myself to a couple of really nice beers and I'll just sit there and have a nice chilled relax and watch. And I, I just try not to think about commentating and, and try and get in, investors a fan because that, that that's where it's the most fun. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I skipped UFC London, for example, I didn't even go and watch it in, in, in the venue. I went home, I, I got myself a couple of ludicrous Scandinavian ales and just sat sipping away, nearly flipped the furniture when Paddy fought, nearly chucked, <laughs> chucked the settee out the window when Molly won. Um, and and, and, and it's, it's rare that I get the opportunity to do that now. But like when I see when I see people like Molly and people like Paddy, you know, guys who, who've, who've careers I've followed and guys who fights I've fought, um, the last thing I want to think about is like, oh, I'd probably say that on commentary. Like, I just want to be that dickhead in the stands going, just bleed. You know, I just, yeah. I just want to enjoy it. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, just as we start to wrap up, we're at the the hour mark. I don't know if you've got some questions left you want to, you want to fire over, uh, Blake, but I just, I'm interested to know what's left on the career bucket list, mate. Uh, you know, not much. I, uh, I, everyone asked me like, Oh, do you want to commentate for the UFC? And my answer is always no. Um, Obviously, the UFC is the pinnacle of the sport, but you can't work for anyone else while you work for the UFC. And, and my biggest passion is the young guys, the amateur guys, the, 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 the developing fighters and, and, and telling those stories. I think the UFC have got, I mean, first of all, they've got John Gooden, who's the token English guy. So until he retires, I'm, I'm kind of out of the question anyway. But um, I mean, that's how I got my job with Cage Warriors, right? So. Uh, but I, I think that there are that there's plenty of guys who can, you know, American sportscasters who can slot into that UFC role. And I think there's not as many guys on the European circuit and the regional circuit that can do what I do. So I want to carry on doing that for, for as long as I possibly can. That's what I enjoy. I don't want to sign with the UFC and then work three weekends a year. I want to work 30 weekends a year and I want to, uh, I want to experience the stories of these young athletes that, that are coming through, coming through the amateurs, coming through the regional circuit, getting to cage warriors um, and, and then telling their stories. And, and like, look, I, I, I get to hear my stupid little voice on UFC broadcast all the time when they're showing the highlights. I've commentated UFC fights for BBC radio. I've kind of ticked that off. My one thing that I have not done yet that I want to do is commentate on sumo. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. Um, my my partner and I, our birthdays are actually one day uh, apart from each other. So for our 40th birthdays uh, in two years time, we're planning on going to Japan for about a month and we're going to go and watch a sumo tournament and I'm going to be handing out business cards left, right and center. So hopefully I can get uh, I can get some sumo commentary in by the time I call this quits. But yeah, that, 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 that's that's pretty much me then. Oh, that's amazing, mate. I hope that happens for you. And um, I just got two quick ones. I'll end on a, on a very kind of yeah. polite, positive note. But the, the first question, because I feel like I'd be remiss not to potentially ask you this, uh, and you don't have to answer. But like, um, just if there's anyone out there that's that's listening to this that might be in the early days of sobriety or struggling or anything like that, do you have any 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 words of wisdom, any tips, any in anything of words of encouragement I, I guess for people that are are struggling as someone that i mean such an achievement what you what you've achieved five, five years sober being the place that you were to the place that you are now if if you if someone were to come to you and say i'm 
I'm struggling with this. What what would you say? How would you help them? Um, I, I guess my biggest piece of advice would be um, be very careful about when you start lying, because the first thing you'll start do, doing is lying to other people, and then eventually you'll start lying to yourself. And I think when you realize that you you're lying to yourself, that's the point that you need to get help. You know, you're lying you're lie to other people saying, oh, no, I'm not doing this, or I wasn't high, or I wasn't this, that, or the other. But when you start making excuses for yourself about why you're doing things, that's when you know things have got off the rails, and that's the point to seek help. And the thing is, help is always there. Like people, you know, we're at a stage now with things like this where people do not look down on you for stuff. You know, it used to be so socially unacceptable. Um, yeah, and I grew up in a very liberal country over in Holland, where uh, you know, soft drug use was is not only uh, acceptable, it's it's available legally on the high street. And I, and I think uh, if we were in a similar situation in the UK, I think there would be much fewer problems with people getting into hard drugs. Um, I would also say it's not the end of the world. Like uh, my, my thing was cocaine. I, I, that, that was it. Um, I still enjoy a beer every now and again. I'm not like, I don't live a pious existence where I can't go down to the pub and enjoy a pint. Um, I've got half a warm Cronenberg sat on the desk in front of me. <laughs> um, you know, but it, it's, it's not the end of the world. It's the most, it's the most important thing. But I, I, would, I would, I would certainly say the second you start lying to yourself, that's when you need to take action. Um, and and the, and there's numerous people, whether they're your friends, whether they're complete strangers, whether there are services online, uh, there are a million and one people who will listen to you, who will understand you and who will help you. And it's not the end of the world. You can carry on going and you can do whatever you want afterwards. Fantastic, mate. And yeah, Wonderful. fantastic words. And I hope that anyone listening that is struggling listens to that and takes takes your advice. Um, let's end on something positive. The uh, The... We're a UK MMA-based podcast. Uh, we want to see UK MMA champions. Leon Edwards looks like he's probably getting his title shot against uh, Kamara Usman probably in the summer. So let's remove him from the equation. I'm going to give you a question that you'll probably ask every time you go on someone's podcast, and that is, who is the next British UFC champion? Man... It's such it's such a hard question because there are so many guys that are kind of just about to progress to that level. Yeah. Um, I, I know he's not British by birth, but I know he represents the UK proudly. I'm going to say Mohamed Makayev. I think yes. he's got an incredible chance mm. of uh, smashing that flow at division. I turned up to an event in Bolton in 2015, and uh, it was uh, the event that my friend runs, but I'd had very little to do with it. So I had a lot of work stuff on at the time. So I didn't really know who was fighting. And I turned up and I looked at the bout sheet and I got about sort of two thirds of the way down and I saw this name, Makayev. I was like, what's that guy called Makayev doing fighting in Bolton? This seems weird. And he came out with a Pahapka hat on and then suplexed this guy about 15 times. And I was like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. This kid is, is, is the real deal. Um, Man, the dude's wrestling is just on a different level. Uh, his striking under Carl Prince at Manchester top team has evolved in leaps and bounds since we first saw him. Like his, his, Most of his amateur fights, he was just wrestling people. Now he's banging people out. Uh, I, I genuinely believe he will be the next uh, representative of the UK, if you like, uh, as UFC champion. You think he would get there before, say, a Tom Aspinall or an Arnold Allen? Because he's got a longer journey to go, but possibly in a division where he's there's got- less obstacles? 
he's, he's got a longer journey to go. Um, but I, I, well, he's fur, he's further down the ranks, but I think it's a shorter journey from the bottom to the top of the flyweight division. Yeah. Um, the thing with heavyweight MMA, I mean, Tom Aspinall is, is again, another guy who's going to be a world champion. Um, but heavyweight, you, you know, things can change in the blink of an eye. Yeah. You know, you, you, if you're fighting 260 pound guys, you can get knocked out almost by accident. You know, what blind punches we've seen guys go down to. Um, and, and I think, you know, a lot more can change with the heavyweight guys. They tend to fight less often. Makaya fights in a style that um, means he, he takes very little damage. Uh, so so I, I, I do think he might be able to get there before Tomas Bill. It all depends, of course, what's happening with Francis Ngannou. Uh, I wouldn't fault the UFC if they made an interim title fight with Cyril Gagne and Tomas Bill for their next fight. So, you know, they could make me a liar. I, I just think, and then, you know, things progress naturally. I, I think Makayev could be the next one. Great answer. Brad, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. We've Thank massively you, appreciated it. It's been a great chat. Yeah, Absolutely. no, thanks so much for having me on, guys. I uh, I, I do tune in every week, and uh, I, I, I tune in to Off the Beaten Track as well, Stu. So I, oh, I, I, thanks, I, man. I, don't, I, don't plug that <laughs> shit on this, man. Jesus I've, Christ. I've got, I've, got, I've got a list here of you know best intro and all that shit that I thought we were going to get through, but wrong podcast. Well. <laughs> oh, mate, you're welcome on any time, Brad. Any time, mate. If you want to do an episode of Off the Beaten Track, which is all Kiss and Pink Floyd songs, you're very, very welcome to have me on. Oh, we'll do it. We'll do it. <laughs> Brad, thanks so much, buddy. Thanks, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Well, he was a gent, wasn't he? Absolutely brilliant. What a lovely, lovely chat. And it was just... Oh, it's so nice. Obviously, such a wealth of, of MMA knowledge. Someone that's been commentating for such a long time. And even after the chat, he was talking about not just obviously Cage Warriors, but he's going off and commentating on multiple regional scenes and, and going over to, to Cyprus to do some commentating as well. So he's constantly commentating on MMA and constantly just soaking up more and more knowledge about more and more young fighters coming through the ranks. So that, as he says, when they get into Cage Warriors, he knows them. He knows them really, really well. And then onto the UFC so what a, what a great person to have on the show and then to be able to, to to pick his brain about MMA stuff but but also I just um I think it mean it means a lot to me as 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 a host of this this of a podcast and and to, to interview someone when they are so open and honest about about what he was open and honest about in terms of his his addiction and the heart attack and all that stuff because you kind of hope as well by by telling those stories and being open about those stories then it hopefully helps people that are in situations that he was in previously and it means that they won't necessarily go through uh, get to the level that, that he was at if they're listening to what he's saying and taking that on board I think that's really important and we're really really thankful to Brad to to be so open and, and honest on, on the show Absolutely. And what we'll do in the show notes to this um, episode um, is we'll put a couple of um, organizations that if you are, um, uh, you know, feeling affected by something that that, that Brad said and you can see parallels, you know, in in stuff that you're going through, then, you know, we'll put a couple of organizations up that, um, you know, you you can call if you wish to and uh, and reach out for some some help. Um, And in regards to... um, other episodes of this podcast that you might want to check out as well there's i mean obviously we've got a real insight into to brad's career and his life and, and the ups and downs within it um we've done that with so many um incredible guests over uh, the last year or so 
So if uh, if you subscribe, that's a really good thing to do, and then you won't miss an episode. But go check out the back catalogue. You know, his co-host Dan Hardy was certainly one of my favourite episodes we've ever recorded. It was su- such an, an amazing insight into, you know, an incredible you know mind uh you know of and a wealth of knowledge of combat sports um and and also you know always the third man in the octagon at cage warriors mark goddard wonderful wonderful again very insightful episode um with mark goddard and he mentioned john gooden a lot we had john on very early on as well that was a great a great episode getting some insight as to what it's like to to call some of the fights in the ufc and and, and what goes on behind the curtains there as well it was really really interesting absolutely really really insightful and then don't forget obviously the incredible guests like michael bisping you may have heard of him and um yeah, Arnold Allen, Paddy Pimblett, Molly McCann. I mean, we, we've had some of those guys on multiple occasions as well. And I say that whenever we say this, the first chat we have with these guys is when we really try to to get to the root of who they are as, as an individual. So they're always great chats to have. And uh, so, yeah, please go and check those out. Absolutely. Right, we're back next time, Mr. Harrison. We are. Catch you later, guys. Bye. Bye.